Welcome to this episode of Crossing Barriers, Building Friendships podcast from Peace Lutheran Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee. Our guest today is Rebecca Hammonds, and she is a community relations officer for the Tennessee uh, Department of Transportation. So tell me, Rebecca, what kinds of things fall under the Department of Transportation umbrella? Oh, I think the better question is what doesn't, honestly. Um, when you think of the Tennessee Department of Transportation, I would say, first of all, think about state roads, state routes, and interstates. You know, um, your neighborhood street, your county road, that's not under our jurisdiction, uh, but all state routes and interstates are. So that goes, that covers everything from maintenance to um, construction projects to project planning and development. Um, you know, in project de development, you've got things like environmental, um, all the studies that go on for that before we even put a project into place. So there are a lot of moving parts, but really at the end of the day, it all boils down to our roads, our state routes and state interstates. And besides all things related to state roads, it also includes things like um, licensing our vehicles, is that correct? And our driver's license and public transportation, does that fall under you? No. Uh -uh. Oh, no, okay, I had that wrong. So explain to me the difference between state roads versus city roads, county roads, and then federal interstates. Oof. Okay. Man, you're really going to test my knowledge today, aren't you? <laughs> Sorry. These are all questions that I would normally take back to someone else. So again, bear with me. Um, State routes, so for example, here in Davidson County, and I know you're in you're in Spring Hill, um, which is Williamson, right? Murray, both, but both, yes, borderline. Okay, so for example, um, okay, so in Williamson, you've got State Route Six, but then you've got you know County Road, pick your number, right? So um, state routes and interstates are specifically designed and maintained by the state. And I mean, really it seems simple, but the main differentiation is who maintains it and who technically owns it. So, you know, something like State Route 6, you know, we've got an ongoing construction project that feels like it's never gonna end down there. And that is owned and maintained by the state itself. But when it comes to a county or a city road, that's going to be under the jurisdiction and ownership of your county or city. So really, I mean, the roads aren't, the roads themselves aren't any different. It's really all about who owns and maintains them. Um, with federal, well, with our U.S. highway system, it gets a little tricky because, and even what I have struggled with is a lot of our uh state routes and U.S. highways are the same road, so it'll go by the same name. So you'll, you could, like, it'll be like U.S. something, but state route, like seven, you know, so it'll, it, it's essentially the same actual physical road, but the way that they're named and differentiated on, like, the U.S. level versus the state level can be a little different, but 
again, it's just all about ownership and, and who, who takes care of it, quite frankly. And just for clarification, State Route 6 is what we would probably know better as Franklin Road, right? Yes, yes, yeah. yeah, sorry. I, I, That's okay. I should have said that, but yes, Franklin Road. This, the interstate system in and around Nashville or the bigger cities like Memphis and Knoxville, is that a federally maintained thing like when 40 goes around the city of Nashville or is that maintained by the state? It is the state. Now we do everything under federal highway administrative guidelines, um, but it's all maintained by the state. Now I don't know about other states and what if their interstates are technically under US jurisdiction or whatnot, but I know that for us, um, you know, like for example, if we've got snow or ice on 40 that loops around Nashville or, you know, 440, I mean, it's on us to take care of that. So we, we take care of all the interstates um, in the state. So how are our roads funded? The gas tax. Whenever drivers in Tennessee, residents or not, anybody who's passing through Tennessee, when you fill up your gas pump, um, you uh, are essentially paying a state gas tax and a federal gas tax. So that is what helps build our roads. That is how we're funded. Now, there are other programs, there are other grants, there are other, you know, funds that are coming into the state, but it's primarily the gas tax. Well, I have noticed when I travel to other states um, that their roads are typically in worse condition, but um, gas at the pump is cheaper. So that's kind of the trade-off there. It sure is. Like we, so. we, yeah, and, and you know, we like to tout the fact that um, we also have the lowest, um, well, we have, we have no debt. I mean, we, we are a what's called pay-as-you-go state, which means that our Department of Transportation does not go into debt in order to deliver a project. So uh, for example, like something like Franklin Road, um, we had all of the funds budgeted and ready before we entered into that. So, you know, yes, we love to hear that we've got great roads, but we also are not going into debt in order to have great roads. So you did mention a little bit earlier when we first started talking about some of the stuff that goes into play when it comes time to widen or build new roads. So can you kind of go over, let's say we're going to widen road ABC, what all has to take place before you actually start turning a shovel and widening that road? Yeah, so much. Project development process is what we call it. There's four steps or phases to that. So you have planning and engineering, and that starts with studies. It starts with interest. It starts, I mean, it could be sparked by something like a legislator, you know, speaking up and saying, we've got a huge need in this area, or a public meeting and um, community members getting together and sending information to us saying, we've got this huge need in this area. So the planning and engineering phase is really where we do studies and surveys to see, is it actually feasible for a project to happen where it's being requested? And then it goes into the design phase. So once it's, you know, budgeted for planning and engineering, it then goes to design and design is when, you know, 
I, I mean, I would say the fun starts because they get to really start to map out what it would take and what the project will look like, what a new interchange on the interstate would look like. Um, it then goes to right of way, which is, you know, right of way is basically like if we've got to either widen or we call it um, new alignment. So if a road is going to cut through the woods, that's new alignment because we're essentially making an entirely new road um, rather than like widening or adjusting pre-existing. So right of way means that we would we would have to purchase that land in order to do that. And that can be, you know, we can run into roadblocks. It can, it can take time because people have to sell that land to us. We've got to be able to acquire that land. And then last but not least, is it's another fun part, is the construction. So at that point, like you said, that's when the shovel's in the dirt and um, we are actually able to construct a new project and a new road. But each of those, you know, I know people get frustrated with how long it takes, you know, conception to actually delivering. Um, but it is because A, we have to make sure they're budgeted and that we have the funds to do it. But B, um, you know, there's a lot of processes that have to really go, go through and happen before we can really get something to fruition. So um, something like, uh, for example, in Trousdale County, there is a project that has been underway since I want to say 2017 or 2018, but because we found a Native American um, artifacts and like we had to have an archaeological dig because we found those artifacts and we found remnants of uh, a living area where they, you know, they would actually cook in a fire pit. And so that's been on pause for years and those things slow a process down but it's it's for good reason they have to go through the correct and proper process to make sure that everything's going to be done accordingly and uh, you know in a proper manner for me as a driver on tennessee state roads i don't really am not aware of construction happening or talked about until the spade work begins and those orange temporary barrels go up. So how much time? Yeah, I mean, that's years. So we have, it's always dependent on the project. Everyone is different. A couple of years, if not three or four. And, you know, we put forth our three-year budget plan each year. And, you know, what didn't make it in the first year or the second year, hopefully will be moved up to the first year, second year of the next three. So it's all about <laughs> having a list in line and getting to what you can. Um, but I would say, you know, it, it, it varies. Um, there are some projects that can get done in a year, but at the same time, those are very specific cases. We have um, projects that are categorized differently. So there are some that we put forth all the design, all the plans, everything, and then we find a contractor and they go do it. And so those, those normally take the longest amount of time. Then we have some projects that are categorized differently as we call it alternate deliveries. And those are a lot of like the really high profile ones. Um, so let's say if we had one in downtown Broadway, you know, in the middle of everyone's um, view, 
that would be one that we would make sure um, is an alternative delivery. And what that means is that in the design and right away phase, in those early phases, we're getting a contractor on board and we're getting their perspective on, okay, we have a dozen utilities that we have to move to make this widening or new alignment. How would you go about that? So it varies, but I would say, you know, in a general statement, it can take years until you see a, a you know, shovel in the dirt. I make the commute near 40 at the airport and then get on 440 and then head south on I-65. And so the construction on that part of the loop of 440 um, started kind of right before the pandemic. And then so I was traveling that route not quite as often. And it was really fascinating to me to watch the progress that happened. In particular, how when they ripped up all the old road, how they then in my mind, recycled that. They had this big machine that ground everything up right there in the middle of the median. And it was interesting to watch that pile of whatever they were grinding up shift from one spot to the other, Claire. And I was also impressed with how quickly it happened. It felt Mm. to me, and I wondered if there were incentives for people to get that done in a timely fashion. So I don't know exactly about incentives, but I do know that when we, I mean, that project was in the spotlight. I mean, as you know, firsthand, that is a high volume traffic area. There are a lot of people that drive that stretch. I mean, even I drive that stretch home sometimes. Uh, It is, when we have something that high priority, we do make sure to note it when we get contract bids. So you know, yes, we're looking for the lowest costs, but we're also wanting to make sure that the contractor knows that they have to deliver in a certain time frame. So that would definitely be included. And it was very important to us to make sure that was done in a timely fashion because, you know, any construction or work zone can, we make, we try to make it as safe as possible, but it presents a, a an issue for drivers because everyone has to slow down and it, you know, we have crews out there that are putting their lives at risk. So we want to make sure to make every project speedy, but projects like that for sure have to be done in a very timely fashion. Today it's raining cats and dogs. I was just thinking about how there is a spot on as you drive 65 South where the rain doesn't seem to pool on the highway as it does in other areas. And so I'm just curious, did you, have y'all discovered a new or better way of material for making highways? I don't know. What I can speak to is that we, in some parts of Nashville, I would say most of our interstates at this point, we use a type of asphalt that is particularly useful and helpful in days like this. So, I mean, any driver knows if they're driving down, I'm looking over here because it's my big window. If you're driving down the interstate or any road and you're behind a semi, that rain spray is almost blinding because your windshield wipers can't stand, just don't stand a chance. So in some projects, and I would say a lot of our interstates are covered in this, it minimizes that spray back. It's open graded, which means it allows the water to seep slowly into the asphalt and not have so much spray for drivers on the road. 
which effectively, I mean, we've seen decreases in rain-related crashes because of it, which is great. No, I would think it would be a huge safety factor for drivers that have to deal with that spray. We're also looking at possibly freezing tonight and getting rain on the roads. So what does it take to mobilize inclement weather sorts of vehicles? It takes all hands on deck. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, a lot of moving parts, but you know, Really, the the minute we see a forecast for winter weather, um, we have folks at headquarters, which is in downtown Nashville. This is, so region three is state line to state line, but it's like, it covers all the way from Stewart and Humphreys and Perry County West. And then, I'm looking at my map, and then Macon, Smith, uh, even all the way down to Bedford and Lincoln on the east side. So we've got 24 ish, I think, counties. So um, here in Region 3, you know, we are always in communication with headquarters in downtown Nashville, and they are monitoring and talking with the um, emergency response agencies all all throughout the state. Um, We're talking with the National Weather Service to get the most updated forecasts. So I mean, we're in constant communication with the right people. And then as the forecast develops and we get closer to the weather event, that's when plans are set into place. So, you know, our regional and district directors here are able to then tell each county maintenance crew, hey, here's what we're expecting. Here's where we need you on call and at what time. So, you know, that is as far as like personnel and staff information goes, and then like with equipment, that's a whole different thing, you know? I mean, we've got plow trucks. Um, In an event like this, we wanna make sure that other equipment pieces are ready. So we've got chainsaws, backhoes, cradles, all of the equipment that if ice brings down trees and block roads, we've gotta have those ready to, to clear out a road. And honestly, something even as simple as having all of our road signs ready, um, things like, you know, detour and road closure and enough barrels and cones. I mean, you know, heaven forbid we have a massive closure because there's so much ice or there's so many down trees that we want to have those small things handy and ready. So um, it's, it takes a lot, (laughs) but Um, honestly, it's such a well-oiled machine that it just keeps on trucking no matter what the weather is. Um, I think we are just so grateful for so many drivers and crews that once we have the weather hit, they're on what we call 16 eight shifts and it's 16 hours on, eight hours off. So, you know, I, it's really easy for me to sit here in this warm office and say like, we're doing as much as we can, but I wholeheartedly know that these drivers, you know, working 16 hours are doing everything they can, you know, when the, when it keeps snowing, like it, it did that first round where we got like six or seven inches. I mean, you just, you can't seem to get ahead of it. So they would, they would get in the truck and then just keep going. Let's talk potholes. Oh boy. (laughs) What causes potholes 
And to my way of thinking, it seems like parts of a road are just prone to potholes no matter how many times you fix it. And is that true? And how do you report a pothole if you have one that needs to be fixed? Potholes, man, it's, they've been something this year, huh? And I feel like they're, look, baseline, potholes are gonna happen. They will happen every year. It is no surprise. We, you know, it is part of our maintenance budget. We know it's gonna happen. Um, and the reason and how they form uh, in any kind of asphalt, it's the rain and the water seeps into the asphalt. And when there's any kind of freeze, that water freezes. And you know how water works, it expands. So when that water expands, it breaks apart some of the pieces of the asphalt. And, and is specifically the fibers that hold it together and make it bond to the actual road or to the ground. So then you've got, you know, thousands and thousands of people driving over it and it starts to chip and break apart. Well, and then I, I don't know about anybody else, but I call it the asphalt gremlin because the gremlin then gets in there and literally like there's a gremlin in that pothole that just keeps eating away that asphalt. And honestly, a better, a better metaphor is the thread on your sweater once it, and you've seen it, you know, once a pothole form and if you just tug at that thread it just seems to go on and just keep going that's how they happen um it, during the winter and spring seasons we shift from winter weather to pothole to winter weather to pothole i mean that's just kind of the cycle um for example this week has been a perfect example you know we had really cold temperatures a few weeks ago um then we had this week of like 65 and sunny it was a gorgeous taste of spring right we were able to get out and do as you know patch as much as we could um anytime it's dry and above i think 40 to 35 is like the threshold um we have maintenance crews out patching potholes it's happening anytime it's possible it's just a matter of like there's just so many and like you said <laughs> There are some areas that it just seems that are worse than others for some reason, and you just can't can't keep up. Um, I sixty five on the way down to Spring Hill, right before okay. Saturn's Park Parkway, is a big spot that has been patched multiple times, and it's still just that same spot just becomes an issue over and over and over again. Well, I guess the gremlins must have condominiums there or something. <laughs> They live there. Yes. <laughs> I mean, typically we, but like not budget, we hope for a lot, an asphalt lifespan of six to eight years, That's if awful. not a little longer. I mean, I, you know, ultimately I, I think 10 to 12 years is what we want to get out of a life of, of a paving project. But there are often times that we know around six to eight years, it can show deterioration signs. So, you know, I don't know about them, um, but at least here, that, that's definitely what's happening. Um, and for that example that you gave, a lot of times in the winter, we have to patch with something called cold mix. So asphalt has to be hot. It has to be at a certain temperature. Um, during the winter, the asphalt plants that actually like create it and, and ship it in, 
they shut down. They actually like lay off people because temperatures are too low in the winter here in Tennessee and in the, you know, in our region um, to even function. So for something like an emergency paving job, for example, like right now in Robertson on 65, we were hoping to get a certain portion completely done, but the asphalt plant had issues. It shut down, but that means that the contractor that we had doing the job couldn't physically do it. They didn't actually have the asphalt to do it. So circling back to what we call cold mix, it is, it is just that. It's actually you know a cold asphalt mixture that is a temporary patch. What you might be seeing in that area is that like, yes, we've got a crew that's probably come and patched it, but a cold patch is very temporary. It might be okay for a week or two, a month or two, but at the end of the day, until we have a hot mix, that won't be a permanent solution. And that's just kind of the nature of the beast at this point. Many people who live in Spring Hill commute north, either to Cool Springs or Nashville to work. Talk to me about HOV lanes because it, it feels like to me that whatever they were intended to do or whatever the hope was that HOV lanes would do, it feels like to me in reality what happens is we say, when this road is traveled the most, it has the highest volume of traffic, let's close one lane. Okay, so let me preface and say, I don't know a ton about HOV lanes. And um, that has not been something that I really had to dig into yet. So I'm still learning. But from what I've gathered so far uh, is, you know, HOV lanes are intended to help the flow of traffic and get more vehicles off the road. It, it essentially was a reward to put um, more people in one car. I mean, you know, HOV is if you have passengers or it's a carpool lane, essentially. So with traffic being the way it is and with the growth of this area being the way it is, I think in Initially, it was a hope that fewer people will be in individual vehicles on the interstates. What we all know is that they're not really enforced. Therefore, they don't always become effective. There are currently studies being done, um, or at least studies being talked about to modify them. Um, and now this is in the very, very early stages. Um, uh, we've, I think it's been with Vanderbilt University and just looking at, okay, what would a toll road, road look like? What would a different kind of HOV look like? What would it look like if we just did away with an HOV lane? We know <laughs> that it's not necessarily always used the way it was intended, but what that solution looks like you know, I honestly, I personally don't know. Do you know that the department is really starting to take a look at what that is or what that would look like? So my impression was that it was originally intended to encourage carpooling and therefore yeah. cut down on greenhouse emissions, which I'm all in favor of that, but I don't think it's worked that way at all. And so it seems like back in the 90s, like around 1992 is when HOV lanes kind of became the thing. And it's been 30 years now. And I'm thinking, I think we yeah. need to reevaluate that and see if that's still working the way we think it is. Yeah, so, no. I'm glad to hear that there are studies being done. 
Tell us how our roads and bridges are inspected. So bridges, we have some of the most bridges in the state um, and some of the most bridges statewide as far as like Department of Transportation's on a national level. So uh, that is a huge part of the department. I'm pretty certain that every bridge is inspected at least twice a year. So we make sure that on a regular basis, we have um, our inspecting our inspector teams going out to all bridges and making sure that they are up to code and up to standard. You know, I think that what we, especially in respect to bridges, what we want to make sure people understand is that with that, we're, we're always aware of conditions. And honestly, in the nation, we have some of the best um, bridge conditions. And that even is reflected in our funding. So even when it comes to federal funds that we receive, we receive less because we do so many updates and inspections that, you know, the government says, oh, well, you guys are, you guys are good. You don't need it. <laughs> I think we have, well, I don't want to throw out a number, but I'm pretty sure we have more than a thousand here in the region. Um, so it, it's a huge part of the department and um, there are, a, you know, long list of guidelines. They do the inspections by and, um, you know, but even still, we still have people who will say, you know, hey, I saw a crack in the such and such bridge. Can you guys go check it out? And, you know, we do. I mean, even on top of the normal inspections, you know, if if there's something reported, like we go take a look. It's it's a huge part. Uh, roads being inspected. You know, I am not sure. I know that our roads um, are consistently maintained. I don't. I'm going to have to say I don't know as far as the actual um, inspection guidelines and if they fall under any of those. So I saw on your website that there's a place where you can report potholes. So that that sounds like drivers kind of have a responsibility or can play a part in inspecting the roads because they're on it all the time. You know, we we encourage people to give us a helping hand. Um, Like I was saying earlier, there's there's so many lane miles that we cover that we can't always get to all of them or see all like every inch, you know. If someone wants to report a pothole, we encourage them to do so. And they can do that through an email. So it's tdot.comments at tn.gov, or they can call their um, local maintenance office. And that can be found on our website. Uh, it's region three. And then there's, you know, district offices that are a little bit more localized, or there's actually a form. It's a maintenance request form. Um, and that's found on our website and they can fill that out as well. So there are, a few simple steps that, you know, if you want something to really be done or you want us to get somewhere, just get in touch with us that way. Well, Rebecca, in listening to you, what I have learned is there are a plethora of moving parts to having roads built um, and and even just all the stuff that goes into before it happens. And those moving parts start many years in advance before I, as the average person, average citizen, actually begin to see things change. So it takes a lot of planning and organizing and cooperation with other entities, 
politicians and taxpayers and all of that to get our road systems up and running. So wrapping up our time together, I'm going to give you the last word. So if you had anything you wanted our listeners to know, what would it be? I think really, I, I want to just say, bear with us. It may feel like we are not doing anything. It may feel like you haven't seen us out, you know, in months, but I think if we can, or if I can encourage someone to um, take, take a step back and understand that, yes, our department is huge, but it's not like we have endless resources to, to get everything done. Um, I mean, for example, in Davidson County, we have on like, okay, so talking potholes and maintenance day shift, we have four crews and two of them are out patching potholes. So that means that there's only two doing their everyday duties of maintaining roads, things like uh, debris pickup or, you know, striping, whatever, you know, they do daily. So if you can imagine two crews trying to get to everything in Davidson County or every complaint that we have, um, it's, it's a tough job. And we've got some really great people that work for us, but um, I think if anything, we would just really appreciate your patience um, and just some understanding. But hey, we we are doing everything we can, and uh, we and just make slow sure. down when you see those construction workers out there, right? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like we've got that some great be, people. That should be a no-brainer, but it needs to be said. It really should. You know, it's funny. I was talking to uh, a friend the other day and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to remind people to slow down to avoid the potholes in a particular construction area. But then I was like, it's a construction zone. You should be slowing down anyway. <laughs> 